Listen up. I won't sugarcoat it. This is the longest cold flu and allergy season we've ever seen, but we're not alone. We've got Instacart. Sure, you may be a coughing snot faucet who just wants mommy, but you're not giving up! Not when cold medicine, fragrant herbal teas, and honey shaped like bears can be delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. Now let's go win the sick playoffs! Daddy, I just want my soup. Oh, sorry, Sport App says it'll be here in, in a few minutes. <laughs> Instacart for the win. This month's Where'd the Road Go is sponsored by four awesome people. Allison Cook, Super Inframan, Indrid Cold, and 36 Dingo. If you want to become a patron, www.wheretheroadgo.com. And now our show. Transmission start. Welcome to Where Did the Road Go? Join us as we wander off the path and explore lost history, consciousness, the paranormal, unexplained mysteries, alternative thought, and much more. We are present on the web at wheredidtheroadgo.com. Now here is your host, Soraya. Welcome to this edition of Where Did the Road Go? And I am joined tonight by Ren Collier. Hey, everyone. And Red Pill Junkie. Buenas noches. Red Pill, who is existing in a spring-like condition versus Ren, who just drove home in an ice blizzard. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, also, uh, Miguel just told me they got rid of daylight savings time in, in Mexico. I didn't realize that. Yeah, probably the only thing this government has done that I, that I actually approve of. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I don't think it should, it should, um, exist if you're below like a certain, uh, parallel, but like up here in the North, I actually really like daylight savings time because finally it's like at six o'clock it's still daylight outside i, I um, want i want them been... to i want them to leave it in daylight savings time yeah yeah that would make sense but um anyway uh so we did the show on roswell a couple of weeks ago and now i wanted to follow this up with a conversation about the hill case and ren you've done a bunch of research on this and i know red pill knows the case pretty well Mm-hmm. Um, I did at one point, but it was, like a lot of this stuff, it was such a big case that after a while, I just didn't care anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, not, not to dismiss it, but just like, yeah, okay. The Hill case, there's only so much you're going to get out of that at this point. So Ren, you, you are leaning more toward this have having been a psyop. Yeah. I mean, I, in the past, I was much less skeptical about the Hill case and, you know, took it as an example. I think like a lot of people do of a you know, an alien abduction. The more um, I read about the case and the more I sort of immerse myself in a lot of like parapolitical type stuff, looking at the history of MKUltra, stuff like Martin Cannon's uh, The Controllers, the more I tend to think that the Hill case was uh, a military abduction. And um, I mean, we, I don't know if you want to kind of like go over the case itself before we get into it. Yeah, that's that's what I was just going to say. Well, one of you cover, you know, what exactly happened for anyone who may not know. And I hope you yeah. you don't expect me to do it. I mean, you say that I'm that I know the case pretty well. And like you, I <laughs> I think the particulars of the case, but I like I wouldn't be able to say like dates and everything. Well, I have a page pulled up, which is a great <laughs> reference. <laughs> so uh, but yeah, the basic idea is that Betty and Barney Hill um, had taken a trip to Niagara Falls in Montreal. Uh, they were from yeah. uh, Portsmouth, New Hampshire. 
And this was in yes. uh, September 19th and 20, 1961. So, so on the way driving back from Montreal and Niagara Falls um, near Lancaster, New Hampshire, they observed a bright light in the sky. Um, Barney stopped the car to take a look at it. They looked through some binoculars. Betty looked through some binoculars and saw an odd shaped craft, multicolored lights travel across the face of the moon. Um, Betty thought that uh, she might be seeing a flying saucer. She knew about flying saucers because her sister had seen one several years before yes. this. Yes. Um, Barney thought that what he was seeing was a commercial airliner traveling towards Vermont uh, on its way to Montreal. Um, but then he changed his mind as the craft uh, rapidly descended, started moving towards their direction. Um, and later he said that, you know, he realized it wasn't a plane. Uh, so they continued, they got back in the car, continued driving. Um, they said the object came even closer to them. And eventually at one point, uh, the object passed over a restaurant and signal tower on top of Cannon Mountain. Um, Betty testified that it was at least one and a half times the length of the granite cliff profile, which would be about 40 feet long, and that the craft seemed to be rotating. And they sort of just observed it as it moved radically across the night sky. Um, about one mile south of Indian Head, New Hampshire, they said the uh, the object rapidly descended towards their vehicle, causing Barney to stop in the middle of the highway. It hovered about 80 to 120 or 100 feet above the hill's car and reminded Barney of a huge pancake. Um, using his binoculars, Barney looks into this craft and apparently this craft had like windows that he could see into. And he saw eight to 11 humanoid figures uh, seeming to look at him. Um, all but one of the figures kind of moved away from the window. And the one remaining figure like communicated a message to him telepathically. At least this is what Barney's recollection was, that he should stay where he is and keep looking. Mm -hmm. um, so he had a recollection of observing these human forms wearing glossy black uniforms and black caps. Um, mm -hmm. Eventually, they see the craft leave and they drive home. Um, mm. They didn't really think of anything unusual. Um, but... I don't know. Some of the some of the stuff in this article is like I don't agree with. So I don't agree with that um, either. I think that uh, uh, Barney uh, kind of like got freaked out about it. You know, he yeah. like threw the binoculars and rushed to the car, and he uh, he said mm -hmm. to Betty, "We gotta get, get out of here. They're gonna capture us." So he yeah. started speeding as fast as he could to you know the, the the down the mountain or whatever. And I think that both of them heard a beeping sound, an intermittent beeping sound, and mm -hmm. after that, they kind of like lost track of time. You know, they they, they suffered mm -hmm. what now universally called missing time. And they mm -hmm. realized that they, they, they arrived home exhausted. Don't, neither of them want to talk ab about the thing. They didn't even want to like, uh, uh, bring their, their luggage, uh, up home. You know, they, they just went mm -hmm. directly straight to bed. And, you know, what else after that? I think maybe they, they discussed the event with just a handful of friends. Uh, one of them, I guess, was a member of the Air Force who suggested to them to report the sighting to uh, Project Blue Book. And, uh, you know, like, uh, 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 I don't know if we, if we want to discuss uh, more of the particulars of the, or we can, you know, go straight to how they developed, started to develop, uh, you know, problems, you know, they were irrit irritable, you know, they had, they suffer from, mm -hmm. uh, insomnia, you know, especially, uh, Barney started to, to experience, uh, wealth in his groin, uh, and Betty was experiencing, uh, nightmares that, uh, similarly related to the experience, uh, in which they, they, uh, they, she kind of like remembered 
you know, brief passages of what seemingly happened after they, they hear the beeping sound and, and they stop the car. Uh, you know, and, and because of that, they, they ended up uh, seeking the, the services of Dr. Benjamin Simon, who was a, a famous psychiatrist and hypnotherapist who was experienced in treating people with what was then called shell shock, what we would now call post-traumatic stress disorder with war veterans. And and Benjamin, Dr. Benjamin Simon treated them for, an, I don't know, remember how many months, uh, separately, you know, uh, and he induced a sort of uh, hypnotic block to their memories, so they wouldn't remember uh, the sessions after, you know, after he like returned them to normal consciousness and mm -hmm. gradually, you know, he did. He let them remember, you know, what transpired in, in the in the sessions. I think that a few of them are available on YouTube, and they are really, really interesting. You know, you can hear Barney's distress. He, he literally screams, you know, during during one of those regressions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, it is famously known that Simon was a skeptic of the of the UFO phenomenon. He didn't believe uh, the idea that they were actually taken uh, by UFO occupants. He believed that they were suffering from some kind of like a common delusion that were what was induced by Betty's dreams. You know, like somehow Betty had infected Barney uh, with this uh, uh, you know delusion. Mm. But either of them really believed that. You know, they they were adamant. Uh, that wasn't the case, and in the end, you know, uh, after you know, because of the of the of the treatment, they managed to get better, which was, you know, actually the point. You know, the point wasn't to, to try to prove that they had been abducted. The, the point of the of the treatment was to try to help them ease from the amount of stress they were suffering. Right. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you, Rand, wanted to discuss how the case actually became known outside of this their small circle of friends. <laughs> well, um, are you talking about like Fuller and the inner uh, journey? Yeah, well, I mean, I think the fact that uh, there was a journalist uh, writing for mm -hmm. some local newspaper who was a member of uh, the UFO group that Betty and Barney ended up becoming involved with, and you know, mm -hmm. that's why he, this journalist, I believe, ended up learning of that experience. And that's why he wanted to write an article about it. And at first, mm -hmm. I think that uh, Barry and Barney heavily opposed to it, uh, but they weren't, they weren't able to stop it, you know, the, the article mm -hmm. for printing it. And because of that, is because they ended up uh, contacting, contacting John Fuller in a, in a way to, like, uh, get in control of their own story, as it were, which... You know, makes sense. You know, like, mm -hmm. okay, the story is going to be known. We wanted to tell it our way, and that's the the, the origin of Interrupted Journey, which became a, a bestseller, and it is universally known as the first uh, public account of a uh, classic alien abduction. Yeah, right. I mean, you make it sound like the uh, Fuller's involvement with this was was organic, but probably I'm not. Kind of the same opinion of, of like Nick Redfern that Fuller was like deeply involved with the CIA and that mm. he was probably assigned to do this and it was like part of that larger project to put the alien abduction narrative and but myth like out there. Didn't we talk about that on, on another show, Soraya? How, you know, <laughs> people say, oh yeah, Fuller was no, a member of the CIA, but I think that what we talked about is that uh, he wasn't doing that anything nefarious within the agency. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm just the kind of person who thinks anything the agency's involved with is fair. So. That's, and that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair, but I think, I mean, as well, I'm sure there are a lot of nice secretaries 
an archivist working for the agency that are not like you know trying well, to brainwash well, you. But also, One if you're working, things- if you're working for the agency, they're not necessarily going to put like some high status on you if if they're trying to infiltrate something. You know what I mean? Like they're intentionally mm-hmm. gonna gonna give mm-hmm. you a title or a job description that seems like you're harmless. Yeah, and it's also possible too that you know Fuller wasn't CI himself; he was just you know like a subcontractor. Because you know, like to kind of around that same angle, um, one thing you didn't mention was that um, one of the reasons that Betty Hill uh, wrote to Donald Kehoe about this and kind of got introduced to Simon was uh, through their uh, friend Major James McDonald, who was a uh, United States Air Force intelligence. Um, apparently, McDonald had been rendered them sometime before this happened. Yeah, and I told him, and I told that uh, he was the one who recommended them to report uh, the sighting to Project Blue Book. And I think that Barney talked to some, you know, uh, secretary or something for a number of hours by, you know, by a telephone. Mm. Describing yeah, and Betty herself wrote decided. a letter to Donald um, mm. And apparently within 24 hours of that, like Kehoe arranged for the hills to be visited by a bunch of top level scientists, including C. Jackson, who was Eisenhower's deputy chief of psychological warfare. Um, mm. If people aren't familiar with Charles Douglas Jackson, you should check out his Wikipedia page because there's a lot of really interesting stuff that he was involved with. Uh, he was a senior executive of Time Incorporated. Uh, he was a government propagandist and expert on psychological warfare. Um, he was key in establishing the Bilderberg Group. <laughs> uh, he was uh, one of the key members or key defenders of Radio Free Europe. Um, he also uh, was the guy who purchased the Zapruder film and threw it into the Time Life Vault as a way to protect the integrity of the film. So uh, C.D. Jackson has his fingers in all sorts of spooky stuff uh, going on in the 60s and 70s. And um, actually, he died in 64, so not 70s, but like in the 50s and 60s. Um, but McDonald um, you know, tells him to call Kehoe. Kehoe brings in C.D. Jackson, who's a psych warfare guy. Uh, apparently, Jackson already knew McDonald, um, and then he interviewed the Hills. Apparently, it was C.D. Jackson who suggested that hypnotic regression could be a way for them to recover these memories. Um, and that is not uh, that is not what uh, Stan Friedman and Kathleen Mardin wrote on Capture, the Betty and Barney Hill. Mm-hmm. Here they say that it was McDonald the one who suggested mm. the hypnosis. Mm. Well, I'm not sure how to square that circle because my the source saying that Jackson was the one who suggested hypnotic progression and introduced them to Simon. Um, and it is kind of, I don't know, Simon's kind of strange himself. I don't necessarily think Simon was nefarious at all, but it is interesting that it was arranged for like an army therapist, right? Like an army psychiatric expert. Because at the time, Simon was working for the U.S. Army. Right. Um, why wasn't a civilian doctor given the job or recommended? It's just, I don't know. That, that seems suspicious to me. Well, like I said, you know, I mean, his friend is uh, within the military, within the Air Force, and say, hey, you know, mm-hmm. I know this guy who's treating, you know, veterans. Mm-hmm. Treat them, you know, why don't you give them a call? Uh, it could be a, something something as simple as that. And I know, and, and Simon had an impressive record. And maybe the, the, the heels felt comfortable with having someone like that reaching Mm-hmm. Of us, I don't know. And uh, Simon was a civilian, you know, it was just a civilian treating uh, servicemen. Yeah. Uh, I do think there's an interesting thing, too, in that um, Simon was in Boston, which mm-hmm. was a hotbed of MK Ultra research. I'm trying to look for the reference to that. And who knows how many people were involved so, in MK Ultra that we don't know about? 
sure. I mean, Boston, Harvard, Massachusetts, you know, all all the Ivy League school, you know, so it makes sense that uh, Mm -hmm. the CIA will put some kind of like, uh, you know, network where you where you can get uh, the biggest brains available. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, I think the thing that got me on this track, apparently I didn't I hadn't read like the controllers years ago, but I remember years like back in 2016, I was playing around with the idea that this was uh, some kind of military thing because I, I, I was reading the, the interrupted journey like again back then. And I remember I, I picked it out in the book here. There's this part where uh, they're trying to get Betty into the craft. You know, she's got like the two next to her. Um, and what does it say here? Yeah. So they're trying to get her inside. Apparently she's like and one of the persons leading her into this craft says he seems to get angry and he says oh go on the longer you fool around out here the longer it's going to take you might as well go on and get it over with and get back to your car we haven't got much time either mm, and i remember reading that and thinking that that's a pretty human thing to say yeah is like, this some is this from uh interrupted journey yeah it's from interrupted it's uh, page 159. Mm. It's uh, one of Betty's regressions. Mm. Well, I mean, it's a regression, too. So, I mean, that, that data is going to be subject to uh, not being accurate. Yeah. And then there's another part right after that, too, where he says, she says, what are you doing, Barney? Bring in, bring him in here where I am. And the man said, no, we only have equipment enough in one room to do one person at a time. And if we took you both into the same room, it would take too long. So Barney will be all right. They're going to take him into the next room. And then as soon as we get through testing the both of you, we will go back to your car. You don't have to be afraid. Huh. And it's just, it, mm. it, it's like, so it's such human speech. Yes. Yeah. You know, it, it's not what I would expect um, an extraterrestrial, even an ultra terrestrial to talk like, you know? Yeah. But that sounds like some military guy, like telling her what they're going to do. Well, I mean, one, one thing about the thing that uh, I'm fascinated about, the Hills abduction and also the Pilas Boas abduction uh, in 1907, mm-hmm. comparing it to what it will be now the stereotypical modern abduction mm-hmm. is like like you're pointing out, there is a difference in the level of uh, control that the entities seem to exert yeah. over the witnesses, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, in, in the Los Boas case, you know, the, the, the UFO notes need to like wrestle him, you know, literally tackle him out of the tractor, you know, and drag mm-hmm. him by the craft. Whereas, you know, in the modern abduction is like what you hear is almost like the aliens exert some kind of like total mind control over the individual and, and, and their rec- their orders are irresistible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so obviously, you know, the, the nuts and balls guys say, well, you know, the, the audience got better at it. With <laughs> time, <laughs> they got the knack of it of how to like subdue uh, us humans the way that, you know, a biologist tried the first time they tried to tranquilize the polar bear and oh, we didn't get the, <laughs> the dosage of the, of the tranquilizing, you know, dark, <laughs> but we need to, we need to put more, more of it. Uh, I don't know. Like here, I guess I'm 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 going to play the role of a devil's advocate, not because I'm against necessarily the idea of the the heel subduction being a psyop. Like I'm being mm-hmm. totally agnostic about it. Um, it's an it's an interesting idea, but it's as unprovable, in my humble opinion, as the notion that it was an actual, you know, you know, some type of some type of test. Conducted well, by extraterrestrials from sets of reticula. <laughs> Unless you had a whistleblower right. who blew the lid on it. Are, are you familiar with Bosco uh, Nedelkovic? Yes, I, I remember listening to uh, Aaron Gullius's 
uh, one of his podcasts, he mentioned the guy uh, mm-hmm. and and the ideas he had about it and, and, and how he, I think he was Hungarian. Yeah, he was an interpreter for the American Defense College in Washington. And in 1978, and, and Tanner F. Boyle on Twitter wrote a really good thread about this guy. So go, go follow him if you're on Twitter. Um, he's a hell of a guy and he does really good threads on this kind of stuff. But he wrote about this. In 1978, this guy contacts UFO researcher Rich Reynolds, and he does some interviews. Um, Nittlekovic basically describes that as, like, under sort of the guise of USAID, um, he was working with the CIA to carry out UFO, staged UFO abductions in South America. Specifically, he relates uh, one that he did in Brazil. So it's interesting that you bring up the Villa Boas case. Yeah. So, so what he's says basically him and a crew of operators get into this like helicopter that's outfitted with electronic gear, thermal scopes, um, medical equipment. And they're flying over the Rio Grande River, uh, looking like scanning with sweep lights. And they they just, you know, they found someone, it was like 3 a.m. or so, they found someone uh, on the thermals. They descended uh, to about 200, I think 200 feet, and released uh, lorazepam, like a mist of lorazepam, um, onto the person, and then landed the helicopter. Uh, he said that the person was not immobilized by this and started to run. Uh, the three AID men left the rear hatch and chased the man. They caught him at the far end of a furrowed field and dragged him back to the helicopter. The man was groggy and fell face forward, hitting his lower jaw and the helicopter ramp wrong. One of the AID men helped him to the helicopter. And then he was in the helicopter for about two hours. And Nedelkovic didn't see like what they were doing with him. Uh, you know, he just he just knew that they were in there for a while. Um, that's interesting for the Villaboas case because Villaboas mentions hitting, his, you know, he, he gets tackled and dragged into the and he also mentions getting uh, his head hit as he mm. starts to go into it. So, I mean, it, it sounds like Nettle Kovic is talking about the Villaboas production. Here. Yeah, well, it sounds like and, you know, playing Devil's Advocate, it sounds like uh, Bosco, and I can't pronounce his last name. <laughs> he gave his testimony in what, 1978? Uh, yeah, that was in 78. Yeah, I mean, oh, it's totally possible he was. And the Pilas Boas case was published in a uh, uh, short after the Hills case became public. Mm-hmm. Was, we're talking 1963. So the, my point is, the testimony of the whistleblower came afterward. Yeah. So one can one can allude that well maybe this guy just taking a, a UFO story and is giving it this spin, you know, and say well mm-hmm. you know it, it was desired. Unless he could provide uh, more tangible evidence, it is an interesting story, but it is mm-hmm. it a story. It does come after the fact, yeah. So it's difficult. Um, I mean, Tanner's got a whole thread about Nettlekovic and the other spooky stuff he's involved with. Um, so I encourage people to read up on him. But um, he, Nettlekovic, also apparently in a separate interview, said that the Hill case was like the same deal, mm. that the CIA was engaged in like fake UFO events and that uh, real UFO events had occurred, but hundreds of UFO episode, episodes worldwide had been simulated by the CIA using experimental technology, mind-altering drugs, and psychological inducements. Right. Um, but the, I mean, the question there, and this is the thing I've, I've tried to figure out too, is like, why? Yeah. Like, what is the, what is what is the end game here? Right. Well, I mean, I, I mean, there, there's just the general idea of what can we do to manipulate how people think. Um, yeah. With the Hills, I mean, you had a... Uh, mixed race couple right so you know further disenfranchising them because if i'm not mistaken wasn't barney involved in in political matters somewhere along the way yeah so you think it was what was that was a strategy to this it could be i mean it's certainly a possibility yeah and active in the civil rights community of new hampshire like you know he was a well he was a figure in that movement so 
I mean, that's what Martin Cannon's theory is, that he was like, they were trying to turn him into a Manchurian candidate to spy on uh, the civil rights movement, which mm. uh, I don't I don't know. <laughs> I think that's maybe going a bit far. It's not like it was that difficult for them to spy on people on <laughs> less elaborate matter. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and the other thing is, I mean, we, we've seen how they've worked at using the UFO phenomena as cover for different things. And experimenting sure, yeah. on people would certainly be that. Like, so mm-hmm. it's much easier to experiment on your own people where you have access to them to see, like, can we convince someone, for instance, that they had a UFO experience? How, like, are they going to see through this at any point? I mean, mm-hmm. we know that MK Ultra uh, experimented illegally with civilians, unbeknownst, yep. to, you know, with the, mm-hmm. the the one project that we know for certain that happened is Operation uh, Midnight Climax. In which they laced uh, Johns, I think that's the, the, how you call them, people who go to a a cat house, you know, and they laced their drinks, they spiked their drinks with LSD in order to see what, you know, what happened to them. Uh, but also, I mean, one has to remember, you know, I mean, the government or any kind of like uh, experiment, you have to try to produce results as efficiently as possible. So, you know, going to the brothel and spike drinks seems to be way easier than concocting a whole, you know, scenario in which you need to have helicopters and you need to have all these people and you need to go and, and, and snatch, uh, you know, innocent passersby in order to do what exactly, you know, sound, sound, it sounds, obviously, it sounds plausible, you know, I, I, to a skeptic, everything is always, will be always plausible, more plausible than ha- taking the experience at face value, like, oh yeah, they were taken by aliens. Yeah. But, uh, I guess too, uh, part of it, what was that? Oh, sorry, go ahead, Rico. No, no, no. I, I, I have finished my thought. Sorry. Okay. So I guess part of it, I, I think it is possible that we're talking about like cutting edge research being done using like hypnosis, uh, seeing if it's possible to like block people's memories or implant false memories. And perhaps like the Hill case and the Villaboas case, and these are, are sort of just examples of research being done on like the cutting edge of that, that type of science. Um, and it can't be done legally through uh through civilian means because this is potentially psychologically like damaging stuff like you could never ethically do this um and that i don't know there, there's an there's a part of the pill case where barney says that one of the guys looks like a nazi yes and that part has always like struck me because like we know that there were a lot of nazi scientists brought over as part of project paperclip yep and some of those would have been people working in psychological warfare and it's always sort of been a I don't know if there's ever been like hard evidence, so I'm not, I'm not going to claim this is true or false, just that I've, I've heard this over and over again, that these same Nazi scientists were involved in things like MKUltra. Yes, yeah, and, they were. And, you know, so it, it's just weird to me that maybe one of the scientists was part of this experiment, and, and well, that's one of those little elements that, that comes through that Barney was able to remember that, that sounds weird on the surface, but actually makes sense in context. Well, the thing is that... the. Uh... This is something that he said uh, during hypnosis regression, uh, and mm-hmm. he said, "Well, he's just referring to the way that the entities were dressed, and, and it is, mm-hmm. you know, like they were dressed in seems to be like all black uniform with the caps, and the caps is something that I find fascinating. It's not, it's not that common you, you, that you mm-hmm. refer to uh, alien entities, uh, UFOnauts wearing that mm-hmm. kind of. Uh, I, I think that in the in, in the capture book they also mentioned that at one point uh, Barney remembered the leader having uh, red hair, you know, like yeah. 
He said there was a red-haired Irishman. Right. So, you know, how many Nazis with red hair? Well, true. <laughs> but they, they, weren't actually, they weren't actually Nazis anymore. They were, re- you know, they were, they were now U.S. citizens. And uh, yeah, uh, so, uh, so it could have been a U.S. military person with, who was Irish with red hair working alongside someone. And I don't want to, you know, remember people. Maybe this is not the, the moment to tell that tale. There's, there used to be a time where there was a lot of animosity between the black community and the Irish community, you know. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of animosity toward the Irish period in the beginning of the 1900s. <laughs> and with the black community period scenes. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, I'm frantically Googling trying to figure out if uh, Jolly West had red hair, which I don't think he did. So. <laughs> but uh, It wasn't Jolly West. So did the Hills actually see anything alien looking or did they only deal with human-like entities? What was the thing, you know, because uh, in, in the beginning, Betty's dreams uh in the in her dreams the entities or the the people that capture them had long noses i think that they they are described looking like uh this uh actor from the mid 20th century jimmy duranta you know mm-hmm. uh but then during the regressions she totally changed her her mind and, and now the entities were, were having that uh, not the typical gray description. It, it wasn't like that, but definitely they were uh, almost noseless, uh, big uh, bulging uh, uh, heads, big eyes, not totally dark. And I think uh, the leader, except the leader, the other uh, members of the you know the crew, they had some kind of like uh, uh, cover on their mouth, on some kind of like uh, like a skin or something like that partially covered their mouth. When they talk, so mm. they, you couldn't you couldn't see their uh, the inside of their mouth. You couldn't see their tongue. You couldn't see any kind of like uh, teeth. You know, in fact, surgical you know, surgical yeah. mask maybe. Perhaps <laughs> that's an interesting point. And especially that that changing under hypnosis. I mean, that kind of makes sense. If they think they've been abducted by aliens, the hypnosis is going to reveal a more alien look to these these beings that didn't look alien initially. Sure, and, yeah. and obviously the, the the skeptics have always uh, championed the idea that Betty was influenced by one episode of The Outer Limit. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though it's never been com- fully confirmed that uh, the Hills watched that particular show, you know, that I don't think they 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 were fans of sci-fi. But nevertheless, you know, if it's if it's in the air, if it's in the culture, you know, maybe they're switching the channels, you know, one right. one Thursday night, and mm-hmm. oh, you know, that's there's that that there's that thing, and they and they see it for a few seconds, and nevertheless, it's so impactful that it gets imprinted into their minds. Now, or, I mean, it was it was a memory that was imprinted in them on purpose. Like yeah. they, they may have never seen that episode of The Outer Limits, but maybe somebody who was working on this project did, uh, and they were like, "Yeah, we're, we're going to make them remember this." Because Barney is the one who actually remembers these the creature's face. So, like under hypnosis, he does the sketch of the leader, right, which has like sort of the, the big almond eyes and the little slits for the nose, and. Yes. Then while he was listening to the audio tape of his own regression, he seemed to go into a trance and then drew like the more finalized sketch where it has like the mouth and the eyes and everything. Um, so that, I mean, I don't know. When I read that, and that's in The Interrupted Journey, uh, and it's sort of like, it almost sounds like a post-hypnotic suggestion thing. Like, you know, he's listening to this, his own regression. He goes into a hypnotic state and draws what he was supposed to draw, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly possible. I mean, or, that's, that's just a theory. 
or yeah. he remembered more, you know, details from an actual. Yeah. Experience. Yeah, but again, once you, once you enter the into the hypnosis, uh, the memories are, are completely suspect at that point. So, like, yeah. what they yeah, remembered cannot, prior I, is more important than what they remembered in or after the hypnosis. Mm-hmm. One thing Tanner mentions in his uh, thread was that. Um, Simon apparently never really intended for the Hills to take the regressions literally, like mm, that they oh. were actually like memories that happened. Um, uh, Simon had pointed out he was attempting to treat emotional trauma, not conduct an investigation and retrieve data that would prove factual. Right. Uh, right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think you mentioned, Red Bill. Yeah. That he, you know, the Hills were adamant that they, this is what really happened, but that Simon wasn't trying to get any particular story. He was just trying to like help their trauma. Exactly. And that's kind of what Travis Walton said too, that when he got hypnotized, it was, it was a matter of like breaking down uh, the, 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 the emotions around it was the goal, not mm-hmm. necessarily to retrieve data. Yeah. I mean, I really am not a fan of using hypnosis in order to try to uh, retrieve information as a kind of like a forensic or kind of like yeah. a legal sort of tool try to know what happened but if it can help to alleviate trauma and to alleviate the stress that is being buried deep into the subconscious of a person yeah go for it Mm -hmm. this is definitely something that that in the right hands with proper uh you know certified professionals not not amateur Mm -hmm. uh, ufologists yeah Mm -hmm. um there was a case fairly recently, if I remember right, uh, where someone was hypnotized and it led to them finding the location of this vehicle. Um, and the, the, the information under hypnosis turned out to be accurate. But the problem with most hypnosis is that unless you can verify the information after the fact, then it's you don't know because it has also been shown to be completely inaccurate. So it can, at times, re- retrieve memories we might not be able to access, but there's no way to know unless there's some way to validate it. Yeah, mm. this is totally uh, unrelated, but I'm fascinated now with how uh, the people who are pushing uh, AI technology, you know, like Chap GPT-4 and, you know, and all that, Mm-hmm. Uh, these programs are getting more and more impressive in their powers, but at the same time, their creators still admit that, at, at, that uh, there are instances in which uh, the app will totally lie or or say false information, which takes <laughs> hallucinations. That is the technical term that uh, these AI technicians use when mm-hmm. they're uh, instruments or their algorithms uh, provide with you know information that they know for a fact it is uncertain, but nevertheless the the, the algorithm uh, treats it as factual. Yeah, yeah, that's that's one of the consequences of uh, reinforcement feedback using uh, like when you're working with language models, um, because all of, like ChatGPT and all of these like sort of AIs that are making the news now, these are all language models. Um, mm-hmm. It's an oversimplification, but they're basically just like a really advanced version of autocomplete. Um, <laughs> right. They what they're saying like is is whatever sounds good. It doesn't mm. necessarily mean it's true. Um, and if they are positively reinforced with like, okay, this is good information from the human user, they'll continue to just, you know, say complete falsehoods. Like um, right. there was one recently where uh, uh, there was an article for the gray zone, I think that got outed as being written using AI because it included uh, like citations from papers that didn't exist. Like, mm. because you can get like ChatGPT to come up with like uh, citations for medical journals and stuff that look real. <laughs> It'll even include like links. Huh, really? Um, but it's all just 
just made up. Yeah, it's like it doesn't the paper doesn't exist if you actually go look it up because it's it doesn't know what's true and what's not true. It's just trying to say something that sounds good. Yeah. It's trying to say something that you will think is true. Exactly. Um, I've, I've and known that's how it's trained. That's that's what it that's it's doing its job. Yeah, and I've known people, you know, like uh, you know, you know, they they keep talking and and they you know take things totally out of their rear end, you know, and, and they treat them as as totally factual, even though they are total fabrications, just because they want to keep talking and they want to uh, show you that they that they are right. So interesting thing in that language model thing, because um, this is, I've been talking with this uh, with my my girlfriend's dad, who's an English or was an English professor, who's retired now. Um, but one of the funny things about ChatGPT is that it's really bad at writing poetry and especially sonnets. It has no idea how to write a sonnet. Mm. And mm. we found out that it's because the people reinforcing the language model didn't know how to write a sonnet, right? So you'd ask it to write a sonnet, it would write a thing, you know, and the, during its training process, people would be like, oh, yeah, that looks like a sonnet, even though it doesn't meet the rules or actual specifications of a sonnet at all. Um, so it's not that the, the AI is bad at writing sonnets, it's that people are, and they positively reinforce the learning model of that AI. Right, right. So uh, Linda Weaver had sent me a message saying, um, I want to give you a thought. I've been reading some very disturbing chats with the new chatbots when humans interact with them too long. The chatbots seem to go off the deep end, and it just struck me. Isn't that kind of what happens when humans communicate with those entities we find incomprehensible? I'm now really wondering, what if we said to a chatbot, there are things communicating with us that we cannot understand either, and we do not know how to deal with that like you seem to do with us? Yeah, I honestly think that, that being the Bing chatbot is the one that's completely unhinged and uh, is ridiculous to interact with. But I honestly think that, that it was done that way on purpose as a marketing thing, right, to get people to pay attention to it. Oh. Um, but I will say that ChatGPT Chat does know how to speak uh, Enochian. I've really? been getting it to write Enochian ritual. Interesting. Now, getting back to, you know, the heels yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and, and applying what we were just saying, like what I've... I'm still very open to is the possibility, you know, I, I really think that something happened to Betty and Barron or something <laughs> anomalous. And nevertheless, obviously, it's being colored and it's being interpreted and misinterpreted and distorted by the expectations of, you know, a myriad of people, you know, the heroes themselves, mm -hmm. friends, the friends in their Air Force, uh, Dr. Simon, you know, Fuller, you know, a member of, 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 of NICAP, you know, Kiho, uh, mm -hmm. all these people have these expectations of, oh, yeah, well, you know, it was an alien, they, they were extraterrestrials, oh, it was a lie, it was, you know, confabulation, you know, they just, they were hallucinating because they saw Jupiter. All these ideas that have been coloring and been putting on top of what seems to be a core crime experience. So that is that is the conundrum. That is that is the problem. You know, trying mm -hmm. to get rid of that noise and to see if there is an actual you know signal, you know, original signal there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's tough because like I obviously like I admit that my interpretation of the Hill case is skewed by um, the you know parapolitical stuff that I've been getting into the last couple of years. You know, I've been reading a lot about MK Ultra and Jolly West and. Oklahoma City bombing and a bunch of other stuff. And it, it makes me, you know, it, I more readily accept the idea that it was in my lab. Um, but in my defense, <laughs> I had this thought long before I was even interested in this stuff mm -hmm. when I was reading The Interrupted Journey and, and, you know, was listening to these quote unquote extraterrestrials talk to each other and talk to Betty and Barney Hill and not sound like extraterrestrials, but sound like 
you know, annoyed army or, you know, annoyed military guys. Right. Um, so and it's difficult, too, because, like, you know, I'm a magician. I believe in spirits and magic. And I do think that real anomalous things happen. Um, I just think this is one of those cases where that's like just not what was going on. And it's it's one of those cases that has set sort of the template for the whole abduction phenomena. Yeah. Like a specific kind, like the highway abduction. Right. Yeah. Which I mean, if you if you take that template out, how different would the UFO abduction phenomena look? I mean, I feel like you have kind of two major archetypes, right? You have this type of experience where the uh, abductee is fully conscious and is sort of either driving or maybe, you know, traveling somewhere and is is, uh, either hypnotized or put into a trance state, abducted. And then there's the more uh, Whitley Strieber communion type experience where people, you know, or wake up in the middle of the night, right, and, and yeah. get abducted from their bedroom. Um, and I'm at least of the opinion that the bedroom style abductions seem more numinous to me, like especially cases where the people are like, you know, floated through walls or like lifted out of their bed and like floated mm-hmm. along. Um, because you know, I, I have out of body experiences, uh, and that sounds like an out of body experience. To me. Right, it sounds like right. something happening in a different yeah. altered state of consciousness. Not something like the Hill case where, you know, it sounds like they were, you know, pulled over to the side of the road, dragged out of their car and took aboard some type of craft, had things done to them, and then were put back in their car and sent on the way. Yet, uh, you know, the idea of being driving, you know, being in a vehicle, mm-hmm. especially in American roles, which uh, definitely are more monotonous, more looking than uh, the roads of other nations. Like, you know, here in Mexico, you know, you cannot go south. For long stretches, if you do that, you know you're probably gonna end up in a ditch. Uh, <laughs> if you need, we need to take into account, you know, how driving can get you, you know, especially if you're tired. And and and, yeah, and, yeah. and, and mm-hmm. hills were getting back from their uh, their this this was their delayed honeymoon. You know, they had been married for mm-hmm. a, how long? Probably a year or something, something, and they they hadn't had a chance of, of, of having a proper honeymoon because of Barney was working mm-hmm. at the post office, you know, and Barney had mm-hmm. the most stressful job ever. I think that he, the guy had to drive like, I don't know, like an hour and a half just to get to his work each day, you know, in the really? morning. Yeah. yeah, 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 it was, it was horrible. You know, but the guy was doing it, you know, and, and they finally managed to get this, uh, you know, this uh, small vacation and and Barney being Barney uh, was stressed out all the time. You know, I mean, uh, being a black man in a foreign country, he felt threatened every time, every everywhere he looked. So he wasn't able to, you know, relax and enjoy himself. So one has to take that into consideration. You know, maybe, maybe you know, that is akin to conduce to that numinous experience that you you are alluding to here grant you know like for example what is the name of the guy the first the first man who flew over the atlantic uh the guy the uh, help me out guy, the american pilot who uh, flew to to paris uh, Lindbergh, was it? Lindbergh, exactly. And I remember reading in 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 one of my in my books how Lindbergh, in the middle of the the ocean, had a, a an out of body experience, like he saw himself like flying on the cup the cockpit of his plane, you know, mm-hmm. and just for the brief, the brief, the briefest moment, because the guy obviously had hadn't uh, slept 
for you know maybe more than 48 hours or, or something yeah and yeah. you know and that that is the kind of experience that conduces you to, to live out of your body and maybe you know feel that you get abducted by aliens true yeah yeah. I mean, like just personally, I mean, that was one of the most reliable ways for me to have sleep paralysis and subsequently have an out-of-body experience would be like staying up, uh, you know, until 4 a.m. reading a book or something until I'm, you know, I literally can't hold my eyes open anymore and mm. sort of just like trancing out um, in that sleep deprivation state. And, you know, I, I haven't done any really long car rides in years, but I when I was younger, I think one time I drove from uh, Alabama to Fort Wayne, Indiana, pretty much nonstop. Ooh. And it was a long ways. And I, it was like a 13 hour drive or something. But I remember you know, at one point being like, I'm on the interstate. I'm going in a straight line. It'll be OK if I just close my eyes for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, I'm still here to. To tell the tale, but, right? Um, you you right. have those like little micro sleeps when you're that sleep deprived. You know, I think yeah. eventually I just had to pull over and take a nap. But I've, um, I've definitely been tired yeah. enough where I've been like, well, what if I just close one eye? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you know, honestly, too, when people drive, um, even when you're totally aware, uh, driving, especially a routine drive like a route that you go on all the time, you tend to space out while yeah. you're driving and sort of like. I, like just the other day, I was going to pick up my girlfriend from work and it's, you know, the road I take all the time. And I know that there's two stop signs before I get to the end of the street. And as I was going nearing the end of the street, I was thinking like, did I stop at the second stop sign? <laughs> like I literally just couldn't remember. I was like, I didn't just roll through that stop sign. I had to have stopped, but like I had no memory of it because it's just so routine that yeah. just, you don't even think about it. The, the robot takes over at that point. You're not consciously doing it yeah yeah so yeah i mean i think there's a very different thing going on with the bedroom invader model of this stuff than there is with the 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 street stuff aside from yeah highway hypnosis and stuff potentially putting Mm -hmm. us in an altered state but what else okay so you have the villas boas abduction you have the hills Mm -hmm. and i think Mm -hmm. that the next big one is the uh oh what's the name of it in 73 yeah which is completely different from the other one yeah, but Nedelkovic said that Pascagoula was also amazing. But, you know, again, we're this is a guy who was saying this in 78, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Way before. So, you know, take it with whatever grain of salt you want. But he claimed at least that it was also one of these operations. Yeah. Pascagoula is a weird one, though. I mean, like, I don't even know what I think about Pascagoula because it's just so strange. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and one interesting thing that I learned after reading uh, Jacques Vallée's Forbidden Science journal is that the place where the, the abduction took place, uh, the Pascagoula River, is very close to uh, what is called is a shipyard uh, where the U.S. Navy builds uh, atomic submarines. Oh. Yeah. And, and also, apparently, according to uh, Kit Green, you know, this, this guy from the CIA, <laughs> That yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. And that is one of Jacques Vallée's uh, closest and, and oldest friends. Uh, prior to the abduction, there had been reports of a, a USO, uh, you know, like swimming through those waters. You know, people saw something like looked like some kind of like torpedo, you know, mm. light, some kind of light. And and obviously that to to the to the navy was a security concern, and sure. I think that's one of the reasons why they they took an interest 
if not to the, the abduction itself, and I think to the events that happened before the abduction. Interesting. Was Kit Green, if I, remember, if I got my uh, Project Stargate history right in my head, he was the CIA guy who got assigned to validate the claims of SRI, right? Of like yeah, yeah. Targ and Russell, yes. or Targan, whoever the other guy was. How put up? How put up? Yeah, put up. Yeah, so he was he was the CIA guy that they, they sent to like investigate the claims that they were making, right? Yes, yes. Okay, so that must be how he knows Belay because Belay was working at SRI at the same time ah, on you okay. know the internet. <laughs> yep. Um, so, I mean, when we look at models for what the abduction experience consisted of, I mean, there weren't a lot of examples of that stuff, I don't think, that I'm thinking, you know, not that I can come to mind. I mean, you have the Travis Walton one, and mm -hmm. then you don't see an uptick of it until people like Bud Hopkins get involved. And a lot well, of that I'm, seems to be very bedroom invader-ish for the most part, like a lot of those cases that then yeah. get expanded on under hypnosis. Yeah, yeah, because like intruders and yeah. missing time. But would you consider, so the Hills case has a decidedly, it, it exists in sort of like this this middle space, right? Between yeah, yeah. the space brother, Adamski type contact, and the later, right. more sinister bedroom invader type encounters. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But would you maybe consider the Hills case in the same light as the contact keys and Adamski and stuff? Because, I mean, I've also read stuff and I don't know what I think about it yet. I haven't done enough research into it to have an informed opinion on this. Um, but I have seen people speculate that Adamski was, you know, basically taken for a ride by intelligence. Um, mm, mm. And it has something to do with uh, like Alan Dulles. Um, I think he had like an injunction on some of the scientists that were like involved in the Adamski case or something. I, I have to go check my sources on this again. But like, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that somebody like Adamski was, you know, drugged, taken to some place, shown a bunch of crazy stuff and then sent back. Yeah. And yeah. Well, know, allowed the, to tell this story. The thing about Adamski, though, is that, you know, all the stuff he wrote in his first book was in a previous book that had religious connotations and no alien mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, any one of those contactees could have, you know, fallen victim to something like that. And I mean, it would certainly be good for uh, experimentation and stuff like that because they, again you have a marginalized group of people already yeah yeah and, and, and Adamski was you know a small con man yeah uh, mm -hmm. working near uh, the Palomar Observatory and a, a lot of people in the Air Force went there you know to the place where he was uh, you know he had a restaurant or he was sleeping burgers there so you mm -hmm. could say well maybe maybe these guys uh, the best way to the, 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 the best people to con are, you know, people who are also conning. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, wrong. yeah, that's uh, a good point. But definitely, what you say, Brent, I, I definitely agree that the Betty and Barney Hill case is a crossroads, but it it, it is definitely a, signifies a change in the mm -hmm. attitude of people with regards to the possibility of contact with alien intelligences because with the with Adamski guys and the contactees, the Space Brothers are all benevolent and now all, mm -hmm. you know, asking, you know, hey, you want to take a ride in the saucer, man? You want to go You want to go to Venus? And yeah, sure, mm -hmm. you know, take me away. But with the Beria Barney Hill, it's, it's the moment that the thing takes a turn and it's, oh, it's against your will and it's, oh, it's yeah. something that is buried in your, in your memories. And 
Mm-hmm. In the book Capture, I think there's a mention of a, a, a woman who actually was uh, had connections with people in the military, with people in the U.S. Navy, uh, mm-hmm. and she was a, a contact team. And when she got a hold of, of, of Betty and Barney and, and, and she began to talk to them, at one point she became very upset and said, oh, you got, you know, you got a, you, you got captured by the bad one, you know, like mm-hmm. saying, oh, the people that captured you has nothing had nothing to do with the good uh, space brothers that I know of. And, right. And she, didn't want, mm-hmm. she didn't want to know anything about the case. So is there is that. There is definitely yeah. a, a before and after in UFO history that is defined, clearly defined by the, by the, by the Betty and Barney Hill case. All right. Yeah. I agree with that. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. All right. Information for you here in this mid-show break. If you have a story, a weird experience that happened to you, you want to share it with us and have us read it on a listener's story show, or you want to come on and talk about it, email stories at wheredotheroadgo.com. Uh, if you want to physically mail me anything, it's not on the website yet. I need to get it up there. It's P.O. Box 444, Ovid, New York, 14521. Everything else can be found at wheredotheroadgo.com, including how to become a patron, which gets you extra stuff all month long. If you like metal and especially like discovering new metal, check out my music show, which is mostly metal and metal adjacent stuff. And that's thelastexit.org. And there is an archive there that you can go through both on the website and now on Mixcloud, which hopefully new shows will be put up on regularly. As for the book I'm working on, the autobiography um, at this point is going to hopefully be out by fall. That's that's the goal anyway. It's um, it's not going to be to the uh, well, okay. So initially, I was going to go up to about two thousand and one, and if I do that, it's going to be the size of one of Josh's books. So I'm going to stop around nineteen ninety five. This will ensure that it gets out sooner, and it's not so unwieldy, big, unwieldy. Yeah, okay. Um, Matt Festa is doing the artwork. Uh, a very talented artist, and uh, we were talking actually tonight about exactly what, what was going to be on the cover and the back, for that matter. You can check out his stuff at Tiamat's Garden on Instagram and Facebook. Just phenomenal, phenomenal artist. He's also going through and helping me flesh everything out. So hopefully, like I said, uh, later this year, I'll actually have a book out. And instead of a two-part, it's probably going to be a three-part. But we'll see how things go. All right. Uh, as for recommendations, I'm going to throw you another interesting podcast. Uh, this, this We've talked about this on the show at, at some point uh, a while ago, because they haven't had an episode since, uh, oh, about a year ago. Um, Mabel. Mabel is a very strange podcast. Uh, it's very poetic. It deals with the Fae, and it does so in a very intriguing manner. Now, there's bits that get a little confusing, and there's some ish- there's some bits that are not that good near the end. But overall, it is definitely worth the listen. I hope they're going to do more. I didn't think they were going to do more, and then suddenly they popped up with new episodes, so that was cool. Um, but yeah, so Mabel, just M-A-B-E-L. If you're into Fae, and if you like, like I said, very poetic sort of writing, in the way that it's structured, it's it's very different than anything else I've ever heard before, and I, I very much love this podcast. So that's my recommendation for you for this week, and now back to the show. All right, I'm here with Ren and Red Pill Junkie, and we've been discussing the Betty and Barney Hill case, but I'm also interested in like, okay, so if so, we're talking about this potentially being a uh, military abduction. Mm-hmm. 
And how much resemblance does it bear to things like cattle mutilations? You know, because if cattle mutilations are basically them testing cattle without permission, I mean, granted, we're mm-hmm. talking people rather than cattle, but like it's the same type of a project where they're they're doing the stuff on American soil and making it look mm-hmm. like something else. Yeah, and I think it's for different purposes. Like, I think that, yeah. uh, you know, the cattle mutilations were because they were looking for radioactive material from nuclear tests and Operation Gas Buggy and things like that. And it was, but in a similar sense to something I mentioned in the previous like segment about like ethics and legality, in a similar vein, the cattle mutilations are carried out in the way that they're carried out because the government can't just go to these ranchers and be like, uh, guys, um, we did an oopsie and you, your cattle might be radioactive um, <laughs> because mm. then they're going to have to admit that they screwed up and then they're going to have to probably pay restitution and there might be lawsuits and all this other stuff. Well, like, so why the, not just do it, pretend it's aliens, and then, uh, you know, maybe take a couple credulous journalists uh, and feed them a bunch of bullshit. And then, you know, that way yeah. you'll, um, you'll have a whole story that hides what you were really trying to do and no ranchers uh, sue the U.S. government. Yeah, and the fact that these, ca- these mutilations have happened to be more prominent around uh, uh, reservation owned uh mm. you know land yeah. uh-huh. what i what i what i want to say is that obviously thinking of the, the Bilas boas case in brazil as oh asylum mm. by the cia yeah i can totally see uh the american government saying yeah let's go to south america and, and mm-hmm. you know do weird experiments with the native <laughs> natives there and, and remembering what we was we said on a previous show soraya with regards of, of the book Body Snatchers in the Desert, so the the idea that the the Roswell uh, mythology was meant to uh, cover these experiments with you know with with uh, prisoners of war, you know Japanese mythology, yeah. yeah. and also uh, mm-hmm. people you know uh, handicapped people and, and people. Uh, 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 with progeria and stuff like that, yeah. Exactly. All these horrible uh, mental disabilities and use them as guinea pigs and, and say, okay, well, okay, the government using these people as experiments, but saying, oh, they're also going to snatch uh, civilians like Barry and Barney Hill and the rationalists, yeah, because they're one of them is black and we don't care. And, and they happen to be, uh, you know, people who are trying to fight for civil rights and, and and we don't like that i mean i'm trying to find the rationale here because you know yeah. trying to see oh the government is so evil you know they can snatch any one of us and they don't give us f about it i think that is a caricature i think that you know we 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 are doing a disservice and we if we are going to that extent well, it's not it's not so much the United States government. It would be a very small subdivision of a intelligence, you know, group. Yeah, but the, there has to be accountability or at least the fear of accountability. That's the reason why these guys, you know, uh burned all those MK Ultra well, sure, sure. documents. But then Yeah, and who who knows what they destroyed that we never got to see. I mean, I, I would think that they would have destroyed the worst stuff first. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this is a question I, that I, I've asked I, a lot. Like, I, I don't get why the journalists might have been targeted because mm-hmm. I, I don't necessarily like I, I agree with you that I don't buy that just because they were in an interracial couple. That was like the reason or that they were involved in the civil rights movement was the reason. 
I almost wonder, it's something that Tanner brings up in his thread, like why Montreal? There's like a couple weird things about Montreal also being sort of like a center of this type of research. Um, but also they traveled to Montreal in a car that had a broken trunk latch with a loaded pistol in the car. And maybe it was just like, you know, a different time, but I've never tried to drive across the international border with a loaded gun. It just, it seems a little weird. I mean, maybe you could do that back then and no one blinked an eye at it. But yeah. it, it's just like, there's some odd things about their trip to Montreal and part of the way Betty talks about how Barney is in like a trance the entire time you know like she, it sounds like she's being dragged into the craft or whatever it is by these two beings uh, but Barney's just like walking with like you know, in a, like a trance state it makes me wonder if he wasn't targeted not because of anything of his race or anything else but that that someone had identified him as like a person who is susceptible to like a certain kind of hypnosis or something you know because we, we know that certain people are harder or easier to hypnotize some people can't be hypnotized at all some right. people are very easily hypnotized so was it some peculiar and I don't think that's anything I've ever seen anyone bring up before but was it some particular medical quality of Barney that made him the, the target of this. And Betty was just, you know, she was just there. Let us not forget that Barney was a World War II veteran. So, mm -hmm. you know, so there would have been records on his service and, and medical history and stuff that would have been available to uh, people who had access to those military records. Well, that, you know, and and also the fact that probably, probably he, he also suffered from post-traumatic stress because yeah. of his uh, war experience. Mm -hmm. Well, also, could, could it have just been random? I mean, could it have just been like they were just waiting for the next person coming along the road? I mean, because mm -hmm. how, do you, how, how do you set someone up like that? You'd have to know exactly where they were going to drive and when. Or just be mm -hmm. waiting for a long time for them to show up. Well, that's what I mean about the Montreal that their honeymoon, their choice of destination, the distance involved, all that stuff is suspicious to me. And there's like Major McDonald, who is, you know, the USAF intelligence guy who introduces them or, you know, suggests they write Donald Kehoe, who kind of starts that whole ball rolling. At least in my big brain cannot prove this. But this is kind of what I'm going on in my head right now. I almost feel like McDonald was like a Plan, right like he was put i think they met him at a local bar or something like he just became friends with them like pretty recently so it almost feels like he was put into place if they were targeted as for some reason um you know to become friends with them and then he could relay information back you know maybe they told him where they were going on their honeymoon um i admit that's all a stretch i don't have the evidence for any of this i'm just speculating um but i i've definitely thought that in the past but it could also be like you said sorry it could just be completely random they could have just been waiting for the next person to come across this rural, empty stretch of road. Right. And they just happened to be the unlucky people who did. Mm. Did they have any other experience They're they reported after that? Yes. What 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 type of experiences did they have? Uh, one of the most interesting things about the book Capture is that uh, Betty and Barney were trying to set an experiment, and they actually invited uh, Jacques Vallée and wife. Oh, I remember this. Over and, and visit them because they were trying to see if they could actually call on a UFO, yeah. you know, at a given time. And, and you know, I uh, saw so the valet and his wife went there and spent the night with them. I think it was in the summer, so, you know, they had a, a nice uh, evening and, you know, <laughs> full of mosquitoes and such. But nothing happened. But the thing that, that, that is reported in Captured is that, like, almost like the next night or maybe a couple of days later, when the hills entered their home, they found on their kitchen table a big lump of uh, ice. 
almost like a giant, uh, what do you call this, a hail stone hmm. right on top of their, of, the, of, of their kitchen table. And, and it, apparently there was some kind of like inscription engraved in the, in the ice, you know, some uh, almost like some kind of like message. But the hills were so freaked out about it that they you know, ju- they just tossed the thing into the garbage bin. They never even took a <laughs> photograph or something. But so according to Kathleen Martin, that was like confirmation or, or that, that was the response to their plea. And also, uh, she also mentions that even though they didn't have any direct UFO activity at the place where they were, they were you know, asking like the UFOs to appear, People in other locations near them, they did report uh, UFOs at mm. that particular mm. time. So, like, okay, so maybe the the, the UFO nuts were dumb, and you know, they <laughs> they took them at the wrong location. You know, those idiots with their with their with their faulty maps. Well, I mean, intent and stuff like that can start causing stuff to happen too. Right. Right. So it may not have been spontaneous. I, I was wondering if they had any other spontaneous abduction encounters, but if they start experimenting with stuff like that, it kind of, d- you know, makes that not mean as much because they could very well. I mean, if you're looking at it as, as you know, nuts and bolts spacecraft, then it's one thing. But knowing that that's likely not the, the answer, it's kind of like, okay, so they started doing these experiments, which then make this stuff. They're basically, you know, uh, doing magical rituals without realizing that's what they're doing. Well, one wonders what would have happened if someone like uh, Bud Hopkins had been working with, with Betty and Barney, and instead of just uh, probing on the events of that particular night in 1961, maybe, maybe uh, you know, Bud Hopkins would have asked, hey, do you remember like having experiences with these beings prior to the night of 1961. And maybe, you know, Betty and Barney will say, oh, yeah, you know, I actually had, I saw them when I was 12. I saw them when I was like seven years old. Right, know? right. Which became, became uh, Bob Hopkins' thing. You know, the yes. idea that you, it's very rare or almost impossible for a person to have just one abduction experience. It is a recurrent thing. And all, not only a recurrent thing, among one individual, but it seems to run among a family, you know, members yeah, of a single yeah, yeah. family. And, you know, that's that's true of the paranormal in general. Most people do not have, like, one isolated incident. I mean, once in a while, you'll find someone who, yeah, they have one minor experience or even one major experience. But most people who have these experiences have had similar or other experiences throughout their life. Again, right. though, the problem with Bud is that he was getting a lot of this information under hypnosis. Right, right. So it's hard to verify any of it and determine whether or not that was genuine or something he started unintentionally creating. Right, right. And getting back, for example, to the Antonio Villasboas case, uh, one thing I remember reading in a Spanish paranormal magazine called Año Cero, uh, you know, there, there were these investigators that went to Brazil in the 90s or the early 2000s to talk to Villas Boas's uh, relatives because he had died again. And I think his brother told them that uh, they grew up in a haunted house, you know, like they, they had like ghost experiences and things like that prior to Villas Boas's uh, famous uh, abduction experience. 
So you could say, well, you know, Pilas Boas had uh, a paranormal experiences before, uh, you know, the case he became famous for. Yeah, true. Hmm. Um, there was another case I was thinking of, too, and now I can't remember what it was. Um, oh, I, I was thinking of the, the, the Rendlesham and the um, the one that happened the next day in Texas. Always forget oh, yeah, the name. Cassandra, yeah. Which, again, I mean, that has uh, military written all over it. Oh, for sure. Well, yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> But, you know, they're also doing this in, you know, okay, so let's let's say that the, the whole Rendlesham thing was a, you know, a PSYOP, but it's yeah. also they're doing it in an area that has a history of weirdness. Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that was accidental. But my, 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 my. Us? Huh? Uh, maybe it was. I mean, maybe it wasn't accidental or maybe it wasn't planned by the people who conducted it. If you know, I mean, what I'm trying to say, what I'm trying to say is that Humans are not in control of this thing. There's something else in control of this thing. And, and humans with their little shenanigans just add up to it, you know. So maybe, you know, Villas Boas uh, or or the Betty Hills having some kind of like uh, involvement with the military uh, does not negate the fact that there is a core of high strangeness at the center of all this. Oh, you yeah. Know? Same with Rendlesham, yeah, yeah, you said, okay, uh, maybe the Rendlesham case was 80% a psyop, but there's still a 20% or a 10% of high strangeness there that, that I, I don't think it is controlled by, you know, the controllers or, or the military or the government. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. The effect it has on us, perhaps, too, isn't something they can control. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, Peter Robbins pointed out that at Rendlesham, and he has pictures, they had a cloud buster. Right. And that's interesting because, of course, that was dismissed as pure nonsense. But yet here the military is with one. And why would they have it if they were not experimenting with it? Right. Well, you know, we know that the military sometimes experiments with things that seems to be uh, pure baloney. Like I want to think of the almost half a million dollars that they spent to try to prove Salvatore Cesar Pais. Uh, theories about uh, electromagnetism and anti-gravity. You know, this is something that became known after the 2017 uh, New York Times article. And people saw, oh, wait a minute, you know, this is a guy who works for the for the U.S. Navy, this scientist, Salvatore Cesar Pais, who, you know, asked for all these uh, patents or things that look for all intents and purposes like, uh, you know, like a flying saucer, you know, an, an anti-gravity craft using some type of uh, electromagnetism, you know, propulsion. And this is something that uh, journalists like uh, people in, in the drive and, oh my God, uh, what is, the, I, f- I forgot his name. I, I, I'm going to, uh, I regret it, I regret it. But people uh, learned that the U.S. Navy actually spent money trying to conduct experiments to prove uh, these guys' theories. And they, the experiments amounted to nothing. Right, know, right. So this all BS. Uh, it wouldn't be the first time that you know that the government has spent money in in bullishness, and I'm sure skeptics right now are, are yelling, "Yeah, like uh, like remote viewing." <laughs> <laughs> but that wasn't unsuccessful. That just got packaged with other projects that were unsuccessful. Yeah, that, I I happen to believe that. You know, I happen to believe that at the core of remote viewing, the, you know, there was this phenomenon that 
wasn't really that helpful for military purposes, uh, but it is real, nonetheless. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> see, see, I actually think that that is in and of itself a little bit of a psyop. The idea that it wasn't useful, um, mm. like because it was most famously used um, to scout out the compound uh, when there was still going to be an attempt to uh, to rescue the Iranian hostages during the oh, hostage yeah. crisis. Yeah, yeah. The, right. They used the remote viewing team to kind of like scout the location. One of the remote viewers mentioned seeing uh, what looked like spider webs in the trees. And what that ended up being was uh, tripwires connected to like C4 charges that were like in but uh, rigged up between trees wow. as a way to prevent helicopters from landing wow. in that compound. And that wasn't confirmed until later. But I, I think that like, in a, you know, I've done my own remote viewing experiments uh, with people who were completely untrained. Um, and I was like sort of formally trained by uh, this lady who was one of the Lindu Buchanan's students. And so like, I can tell you for certain that it, it works, uh, how it works. I don't know. Like, um, <laughs> but I've seen enough to know that like, it, it does work and it works well. I just think like a lot of things, it just moved to the private sector because it doesn't leave a paper trail in the private sector. Well, also, um, doesn't, doesn't it work well as long as the, the, the remote viewer gets the results after the fact? Yes, that is part of it. They're supposed to receive feedback. That's why any remote viewing is something that can't actually be verified is just nonsense. It, it, you're not even supposed to do that. Yeah. Like, that's not part of actual protocol. Like actual protocol, you can only view things that you will be able to confirm and provide that feedback to the viewer at some point. Right. Which, you know, brings up the idea of time loops, right? <laughs> you're, yeah, yeah. They're sending information back back in time to themselves. But um, yeah, like the, the lady that uh, did the training that I took part in, uh, and, you know, I don't know, maybe she was just taking me for a ride. But she did say that at one point uh, she had to cancel class for one week uh, because she had to go out um, with some other remote viewers to do some contract work for the government, which she told us they were doing climate modeling, remote viewing stuff for NASA, mm. I believe. And so I think like there, there's still I mean, you have like the Institute of Noetic Sciences. I still think there are a lot of groups of remote viewers that do private contracting work. Uh, corporate espionage, um, things for governments and stuff, but it, there's no formal government project anymore because, you know, you, <laughs> there end up being records and FOIA requests and things like that that, that reveal it. But mm, it, yeah. you know, I think the same reason a lot of the stuff was shopped out to Bigelow and Bigelow Aerospace, right? Yeah. If it's okay. all being done by a private company, well, you know, private companies doesn't have to release any documents as a FOIA request. So, all right. Well, we are just about out of time. So, Ren, where can people find you? Uh, yeah. So, I have a blog at lamillaroom.com. Uh, you can also find me on social media uh, at Liminal Bird. Um, social, yeah, social, also, what, what social media is it? Just Twitter? Yeah, yeah, just Twitter. Um, someone there at Liminal Bird. And uh, yeah, if you want to invite to my Discord server where uh, we talk mostly about like magic related stuff. Uh, feel free to send me an email or uh, message me on Twitter and I will send you an invite. And uh, Red Pill, where can people find you? Well, they can remote viewing. Oh, excellent. (laughs) (laughs) Just please do it in daytime hours. Otherwise, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) Where else, perhaps? Where else, perhaps? Okay, if if you don't have it, in you, the faculties, uh, you can find me on the Daily Grail, dailygrail.com. You can find me on my personal website, absurdbydesign.com. And you can also find me on Twitter, on Facebook, you know, even Instagram. All right. Well, thank you both. All right. Thanks, Sarah. Thank Thanks, Red Bill. I'd like to take a moment here to thank all of my patrons because all of you help make this show possible. And I want to give a special shout out to those of you pledging $10 or more. Billuminati, Chuck Shutters, Leanne Cherry, 
Matt in Delaware, Allison Cook, Super Inframan, Indrid Cold, 36 Dingo, CJ, Tim, Andrew Nichols, Matthew Sproul, Christine, a blue second gen MR2 drifting around a Japanese mountain, Patricia Guy Quinta, Alex Whitcomb, American Rambler, Andrew Maines, Ann Wintowski, Barbara Fisher, Beverly Williamson, Big Boy Limina, Charles Davis, Charles in Florida, Land of the Crazy Incommunicable, Chris, Craig Cicernos, Craig Parmenter, Diane B., MTK, Eric Todd, J., J. Otto Bullet, Russ Rouse, James Lattimore, James Lindsay, Jim and Sophie, John Bracken, Carla Mahoney, Kevin, Kevin Shrek, Cool Kitty, Kristen L., Laser Printer Jam, Lauren McLean, Linz Jackson K., Luke Osborne, MJ Armstrong, Mark Brady, Mr. Weird, Oli Andre Olar, Patricia W., Paul Jeffries, Ray Benedetto, Riker and Stark, Ron Dupre, Sam Sharon, Seed Person One, Stacy Sherwood, Tactical Therapist, Taylor Bell, Thunderboy, Tyler Glimstead, Vincent Trewell, Walker, Will Gebhard, Craig, Sagastumi, Will Powell, Ren Collier, and Caroline Walker. Thank you all so very, very much. There is a Patreon segment along with this show. That will be put up later in the week. If you want to become a patron, it's only $3 a month. It helps out the show, and you get extra content all month long, plus the shows a week early. I want to welcome Denise, who is a new Patreon this week. And again, everything can be found at wheredidtheroadgo.com. Taking you out now with some brand new Vrangvent. Literally got this tonight and was very happy when that showed up because I love their stuff. And uh, this is a song called Razorblade. Brand new. You can find them at vrangvent.com. That's V-R-A-N-G-V-E-N-D-T, one one word. Uh, you can find them on Bandcamp and Facebook and all that type of stuff as well. So here you go. This is Razorblade, and I will see you next time.
have been listening to Where Did the Road Go? This show is made possible in part from our Patreons, and we thank you and everyone listening for helping us continue this exploration of the strange. You can always find everything Where Did the Road Go related at www.wheredidtheroadgo.com. And thank you so much for your support.